episode 64 of Not Another Teen Wolf podcast. It's a very special episode this week about death. You'll see what we have to come soon, but we are focusing on, you know, the lovely and jovial topic of all of the deaths on Teen Wolf about what we've liked or haven't liked or, you know, what's been realistic or what's been uh, emotional you know, what we'd like to see come back, who we who we might like to see die, all of those kind of things. And we have a very special guest with first-hand experience of dying on Teen Wolf. We have Katie Myers on the show with us, who died on Teen Wolf. Uh, very quickly, if you want to uh, reach us or Katie after the episode, you should have our social media by now, but the Twitter is NATW Podcast. Email is natwpodcast at gmail.com. Our beautiful Instagram, where we keep posting sad pictures about how we're not at BikeCon anymore, is also <laughs> natwpodcast. And the Tumblr is notanothertainwolfpodcast.tumblr.com. Uh, if Katie has got any social media she'd like to share and chat with, um, do you have a, a Twitter and stuff that you have publicly in fandom? Yeah, um, I guess the Twitter that I go through is mkate04. That's mm-hmm. the one I just kind of use. Cool. And Karen put this episode together about death. Uh, so, yeah, Karen, do you want to sort of talk a bit about uh, inviting Katie on and, and what we're doing here today? Yeah, sure. It's <laughs> such a great introduction. Um <laughs> Well, it was actually right after uh, the whole thing with Katie happened on Teen Wolf and like she went on to Wolf Watch and everything. And I was like, oh, if we can get her like we were chatting on Twitter, I think. And I was like, man, if we could get her on the podcast, that would be so cool because what a cool experience to die on Teen Wolf. And I was like, guys, let's just do a whole podcast about all the deaths in Teen Wolf, especially after season three when there were so many. And everybody was like, wow, that's so morbid. Let's do it. That's a great idea. (laughs) Yes. So I asked Katie if she would come on, and she said yes. And so I guess the rest is history. But basically, we just wanted her here because she was the contest winner for Diane Teen Wolf. uh, And she got to actually go on the show. And uh, which episode were you in, Katie? Um, I think it was 317. Mm. The one with the crazy Latin-sounding name that I have trouble pronouncing. Oh, Lotharia Vulpena. Yeah. Yeah. Katie died at the hospital, for all those that don't know, by stepping into a puddle of electrocuted water. And, uh, yeah, so you're when basically when Nagitsune Styles first goes totally cray-cray and and him and Kira have that showdown in the, the parking lot. So we'll get into Katie's experience on the show and, you know, what it was like and you know being on set and what it was like in in the aftermath and all of those kind of things and talk a bit about the deaths on Teen Wolf as you know is you know all of our our favorite dead people you know all of those kind of <laughs> joyful subjects <laughs> so Karen do you want to kind of um the the Die on Teen Wolf competition you possibly know a bit more about how this went down obviously Katie knows the most about how it went down so do you want to <laughs> chat about that Yeah, so, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, basically they just put out this contest that was like, okay, who wants to die on Teen Wolf? And what did you guys actually have to do in order to, like, submit something for the contest? We had to, it was an Instagram video. It had to be a 15-second Instagram (laughs) video that you would hashtag to a gallery, would upload to a gallery with the die on Teen Wolf hashtag. And it was, was it? 
you dying? Was it like, was it acting? Was it like a, a just a like, please choose me? Like, how did it work? Uh, it was acting. It was reading. I think they were, I believe they're Erica's lines from, or the first part of season three when she, when we see her very briefly in the bank vault. Mm. Um, the oh, yeah. lines about the eclipse. Yeah. And are you uh, uh, an amateur or, or, you know, professional or want to be professional active? Because we know you're a teacher as, a, as an actual job. So was it just for fun or were you, are you a hopeful, hopeful actor? I don't really know what I would classify myself as. I've always acted. It's always been something I loved all through high school and elementary school and all that really embarrassing stuff. <laughs> um, and the, the teaching program that I'm part of right now is is two years, and I have no idea what I'm doing next. But, you know, I've always loved acting, so I was excited I got to share it with my kids. Yeah, um, because that's one of the things that I, I, I think, I'm not sure if it was covered on Wolf Watch or just on social media, um, that your uh, kids wrote letters to the Teen Wolf set. Is that right? They're fans of, of the show as well? Oh, they love the show. Um, yeah, a student told, I have the same kids that I had last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have spent my two years with the same kids, which was really cool. And a student last year that I also have this year told me to watch Teen Wolf, and I loved it. Um, so I themed the classroom around it, knowing that I was coming back with these same kids. <laughs> um, and so when they brought the contest to my attention, they all went and voted, um, which was really cool because I teach in an inner city school where a lot of my kids don't have computers or things like that. Um, so they were coming after school to the library to vote and stuff like that. Yeah, and then we got it and they went crazy with art and letters and poems. It was very cool. Oh, that's cute. Oh, it's so nice. And Dylan wrote them a letter back. Is that right? Or sent a message? Yeah, uh, Dylan did, and actually so did Posey and Hecklin and Lyndon also wrote letters back to my kids. Oh, Aww. wow. That's nice. Are those framed in the classroom? or? <laughs> yeah, we have this ridiculous shrine going on um, <laughs> that I, you know, it's crazy. But it's something that I'm going to leave there when I leave the school at the end of this year. It's got the four letters. And then I got my badge from BiteCon signed by everybody, and that's in the middle of the picture frame. Oh. <sighs> Sorry, we get like <laughs> really dreamy oh. when everybody mentions bike con. We're like, bike con. Um, that's so cool. I'd never had any teachers that cool. And like, I don't know if that's just like a sign of the times, like, you know, changing, you know, internet culture or fandom culture or whatever, you know. But kids in general, like, I mean, it, it, probably not every child, but I, I see a lot of young people in general who. Um, are having, you know, more positive experiences at school now due to kind of fandom stuff, which is cool. Like, I didn't have any kind of fandom interactions when I was in high school, I don't think. Like, and it seems like people, it's kind of cooler to be a bit a bit nerdier now, and I wish I had a teacher like that uh, when I was. Are they, how old are they? What, what grade is it? Uh, my kids are seventh graders right now, so yeah. they're like 12, 13. That's so cool. Yeah, that's so cool. We we love this story. When I, I I didn't even yeah I we didn't know you know before we we planned to get you on the show. It was, it was very very cool, cool experience. And then I mean with a uh, Wolf Watch with going on Wolf Watch as well. Uh, was that done sort of at the time when you went to the set, or was that a separate thing? Like what was that experience like? Was that done live? Uh, no, they I had been home for a while, and they called me a couple of weeks later and. I got a call from a random California number that was like, oh, 
um, we love to, you know, we heard about your kids and your story and we're doing this other program called Wolf Watch and would you be interested in sharing that story? And it's like, oh, absolutely. I'll talk about my kids till I'm blue in the face. And no, they Skyped me in from my yeah. apartment in Texas. That's cool. Yeah, so you got to go, obviously, on set and die. So yeah. <laughs> I love how we keep saying, yeah, Katie died in this episode. <laughs> like, she actually died, not the character. Yeah, she was yeah, like, still here. <laughs> and she's back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you must be a hail. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so what was that like, going on to set and, and the filming the scene and, and the experience of going out to set? for you and and just basically that whole that whole day um or however long you were there for well I was there for a couple days but my one day on set was like eight or seven hours or something like that um and it was very it was it was very cool and very nerve-wracking I was I was very nervous to go um because you know it's something you love so much and you don't want to you don't want to leave a bad impression and it was really important to me that I represented the kids well and, you know, the story that we had made. So, you know, I went, uh, I think I got there. My call time was at four. Um, so we had to be there at like three, three thirty, And then we were there till like midnight. Um, and my scene was very brief and it was just very bizarre because they did such amazing things like give me a trailer with my name on it. Um, and, you know, made just really made me feel like you know, very, very welcome. And everyone was so kind and let me wander around and bug people and ask questions. And <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. We're just like, yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> um, we're very, we, we talk pretty much every day about how we're just going to show up there and just, just take an office and just be like, yeah, we, we work here now. We're this here is, now. This is what we're, we're doing this now. We're just going to live here and, and just eat your catering and just, that's it. Like, <laughs> You the know, food was so good, though. <laughs> we went to craft services. We did not experience the full catering at, at base camp, which, uh, you know, is a goal for another day, I'm sure. The day that we're all invited to guest star to die on Teen Wolf. So <laughs> I'm sure that's in our future. Uh, you know, if, if we annoyed them enough, they're like, yes, we're going to kill you. Um, all at but, once. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, I no, but uh, yeah, it was. It's cool. Like we had a, a very positive experience there, and everyone we've really spoken to has had, you know, a very positive experience there. What was your sort of highlight of of being there in terms of whether it was like, you know, a personal interaction or getting to watch uh, a certain bit of acting or, or whatever? Like, what was what was the highlight for you, really? Okay. I have three, like, really, sh I'll, I'll make them short, I promise. No, no, you I, don't have to make them short. <laughs> it's fine. Um, I have three separate ones that really stand out in my head, and I guess they stand out because they're, they're with different sort of aspects of production. Mm -hmm. um, my first really, really positive highlight was getting to work with Matt and Morgan, mm -hmm. um, which you got Maddie McDee and Morgan Evans, who does the After After Show. Um, yeah. I, they, poor them, they were trapped with me for the whole weekend and spent... <laughs> spent so much time with me and drove me around and got to listen to me talk nonstop about my kids. And I mean, just, just really, they were so wonderful and so welcoming. And, you know, I'll say over and over again that one of the things that is so cool to me about Teen Wolf as a show and as a fandom is that they're willing to reach out to the fans like that and involve them in such a personal way. Um, and really make you feel special as a fan. And so I was I was really, really grateful to them for being so cool and taking the time and, you know, really making it such a memorable experience for me and my kids. 
And then the second highlight was with some of the crew members, you know, because I was my scene took a very, very short amount of time to film it. It only took like a half hour to 45 minutes. And after that, I had all this time to just kind of exist on the set. And the crew people kind of let me wander around and ask them questions. And they were very, very kind. And always, you know, they let me put the headset on at one point and let me watch things and ask questions and be there. And it was really, really cool. Um, I don't know if you guys had a similar experience with the crew, but they were they were so wonderful. Yeah, I mean, everyone that we met, like, I don't know, it's kind of like, no matter how many good things you hear, you still kind of expect, like, the people who are literally just sitting there doing their job and not necessarily, <laughs> like, paid to be a good PR person or, you know, like, because yeah. like, even an actor, like, you know, you know, part of their job is somewhat you know, publicity somewhat, you know, if they meet a fan, you know, unless they're in their own time, you know, of course, if they're working and they meet, you know, a fan, they're kind of going to want to be a good representative. But like sort of the crew people who are like, this is just my day job, whatever, aren't necessarily going to be like that accommodating. But, you know, so everyone on Teen Wolf was so much nicer and more interested and just pleasant than I expected not that I expected them to be horrible but like every you know all of the crew people that we met were really yeah really accommodating and you know and if those are the kind of people that I would have expected maybe to be like oh you know whatever we just work here it's no big deal but it's not like that at all <laughs> like everyone is just as enthusiastic as each other and like you know we, we went into sets and they were like oh yeah yeah come, we'll turn the light on you should come and look at this and like just really interested and you know genuinely like hi like you know to us as passing and it was just really yeah like so weirdly positive I don't know <laughs> I think the best way to describe it is like everyone was so genuine and we would like meet people like as we were taking the tour we would go through people's offices and say hi and introduce ourselves and they would tell us what they do and stuff and then even afterwards when we were done and we were sort of like hanging out before we did our podcast we were just like in this little open cubicle area and like people kept coming up to us like people we had met before and they they would just sit down and chat with us for like 10 minutes before they had to go and it was like you know they could have just been like all chipper and kind of falsely positive while we were there to put on a good show but you could tell it wasn't the case like they really wanted to talk to us and it was just something that yeah I never would have expected not that I thought the place was going to be like negative or anything because we've heard so many good stories about how everyone there is just this big family but seeing how genuine everyone was was just really kind of overwhelming and and I really really liked it yeah, yeah. everyone is really enthusiastic and just I don't know yeah it was it was really cool and and yeah, we we got, even uh, Jen uh, Lynch, one of the directors who we saw, like you know, using the the monitor thing and all of that, like was really yeah chatty and like everyone was just you know they didn't seem put out at all to be like oh fans in the way oh which is kind of what I <laughs> might have expected a little bit maybe not from the people who are kind of paid to be nice to us um but like the people who were literally sort of getting in the way of their job. No one made us feel like we were getting in the way of their job, which was really cool, I guess. Yeah, no, like, and it was funny because, like, one of the girls, I think she was from, 
the props department, like she tapped me on the shoulder because we were wearing our cool Not Another Team Wolf podcast uh, hoodies. And she tapped me on the shoulder and she's like, what is that? Like they were all really interested in knowing like why we were there. And I explained about the podcast. She's like, oh, that's really cool. And we were just like chatting for a few minutes. But somebody who, like you were saying, you know, it's just her day job, like she was probably just passing through, decided to stop and say hello and everything. And yeah, everything was just really wonderful. Yeah, it was so cool. I told, I I warned you guys, listeners, I warned you, we're going to be like milking this for the next like 27 (laughs) years. Like, we're going to throw back every story to this. Like, sorry. Anyway, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Karen, did you sort of have anything else with Katie? Yeah, as I said, you you put sort of more mental preparation into putting this together. What else did you want to kind of find out? Well, to tell you the truth, I mean, the way that you died on the show was that you, yeah, sort of like fell into this big puddle of water after being electrocuted. (laughs) And I really want to know like how you did that and maybe like how many takes you had to do and and sort of like the behind the scenes stuff that maybe a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know how all of that works. Well, how I did that was not very gracefully. Um, (laughs) I talked a little bit in... um, I think it was the after after show about how, you know, I, I am, as far as acting goes, I, I've not done a lot of stunt work. I've done a lot of speaking and dialogue and things like that and emoting, but not a lot of like stunt based things. So when they said you're going to be electrocuted, um, it's going to be short, don't worry, but you're going to be electrocuted and and fall to the ground. I went, Oh no, because I'm going to mess this up. And sure enough, on the first take, I completely tripped getting out of the director's car um, (laughs) and fell on my face in front of the about 20 people that were out there, including Morgan Evans, who was there filming things for the After After Show. So he has a clip of me falling on my face somewhere (laughs) on his camera. But, you know, we all laughed and brushed it off. And after that moment of initial panic, and then I heard from the back, uh, they went, wow, that looked really good. That might be what we use. And I do think that is what they used. But oh it, it was, yeah, just me falling on my face. But what it looked like when they were setting it up was it looked like a series of shots. It, it's it's really short. So you think it could have been continuous, me not knowing anything about film. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. It was it was a series of shots. And it like I said, it took about 30 to 45 minutes just for that couple of seconds because they had to set it up for the different angles and the different things we were doing. That's something we definitely noticed on the the very short amounts of filming we got to watch. is literally a shot that in the show, I guarantee, will be half a second. It will be a shot of... Yeah, it'll cut to it and it'll be half a second of basically someone brushing their hand over a, a prop that you'll see, like picking up a thing and brushing their hand over it. Maybe 10 or 15 minutes doing shots of this one hand brushing which will be half a second of of footage in in the show and it was yeah it's so like it's so thorough and like they really you know pick their pick their shots very very carefully which is is cool i mean in terms of the stunt sort of aspect did they teach you how to fall in a stunt manner was there like a mat like how did it how did it work uh, there was a mat. They we did the fall second to last because the last shot they did was um, they had to uh, some poor gentleman had to come spray me with a hose so that I could fall into the puddle and be wet and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the falling onto the actual mat was I think second to last where they did bring out the mat and they did I think like five or ten takes of me just 
basically falling from air onto this mat and being caught. Um, so yeah, they did bring out the big crash mat. I mean, they didn't, they did tell me how to fall. They said, we need you turned in this direction and we need, you know, we need to see this and all that stuff. So there was some direction about how to fall, but you know, falling is very natural for me. So that didn't take a lot of <laughs> <acting>. <laughs> And I mean, was it fun? I assume it was fun, but like, was it was, it, it was so great. I mean, who doesn't want to, who doesn't want to pretend they're just a really awful stuntman for a day? <laughs> <laughs> and then when you were on the set for the other sort of, you know, eight hours, what what parts, now that it's all aired, what parts did you get to see filming? Like, like how much of that was sort of sequential? Like, you know, because they had the electrocution and they had the kind of fight between, you know, Kira stopping it and all of that. Like, and obviously that was something, you know, her electricity would have been like a post-production special effects thing. But like, was it sort of done sequentially or was it like completely other random scenes? Like what, what happened? Uh, from what I saw, it was completely random scenes. I mean, it was kind of like a jigsaw puzzle watching the season and sort of seeing, oh, that I saw that scene while I was there. And oh, I saw pieces of this. Um, yeah, it was it was kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. They were doing a bunch of different things that day. Um, and from, from what I understood about my scene was that it was that episode had already been mostly finished. And I was, okay. um, yeah, I was kind of being like added in. So, you know, I saw some stuff with Derek and, uh, Mr. Argent and, uh, Dylan and Posey were there doing some stuff in the sheriff's office with Lyndon. So it was, it was kind of a jigsaw puzzle of stuff. Cool. So the last question is, I guess, you know, ha, do you feel like your life has changed at all after being on the show? I mean, obviously you had a very small part, but I assume for a fan of the show, it's kind of a big deal. I mean, like Natalie said, we're going to be talking about our set visit forever because it was just such an awesome experience. Yeah. My life has fan. changed now. Yeah. I don't mean like what the world <laughs> thinks of me, but internally my life has changed. Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. And I mean, I'm sure your kids are probably super excited and going to be talking about it forever. So do you feel like anything has changed since you've been on set? I think the, the only thing that I've seen change has been, I guess, the amount of attention that has been paid. I've, I'm not used to so many eyes on me, especially, um, you know, doing a job like I do right now, which is teaching, which is very unglamorous and, you know, sort of, you know, down to earth and very, you know, I'm tired a lot of days and things like that. So, you know, to get attention paid to my kids was was so amazing because the response was so much more than I could have ever hoped for with people responding to the story of my kids and, and this, this family that we created because of this show. Um, and it was, it was very, very humbling to, to hear my kids respond to this, you know, or to hear the people to respond to my kids and this story and what we built. So, I mean, I guess it was very cool to get to share my love of acting, which is something I've always, you know, so it's been a part of me and get to bring that back to my kids in such a unique way and have people enjoy it. It's so sweet. And like what the guys wrote, like, I don't know if I've seen the full text of everyone's letter, but the, the bits that I did see floating around are so, so nice and, and cool. And, and yeah, I'm pretty sure, as I said, if that had happened to me in, in high school or, you know, early, early high school, I would be, yeah, hanging on to that memory for a long time. So that's so cool. It was very cool, and it was cool to see how my kids reacted to it, too, when, um, I promise I will stop talking about my kids at some point, but, it's fine. Um, <laughs> don't, don't, we love this. 
Um, but, you know, when I got, when the episode finally aired, because I wasn't allowed to tell them anything about what we had filmed and what was going to be airing on the After After Show and on Wolf Watch, so they didn't know. So when we got to come back the day after it aired and watch it all together as a class, I mean, their reactions then were were so amazing. And I, you know, I will always carry that with me, just like I will always carry the memory of my time on Teen Wolf with me. And does every single one of them like Teen Wolf, like your class? Like it's a whole whole class full of, of people into Teen Wolf? <laughs> I mean, mostly, for the most part. What's been so crazy was it started as, you know, most of my students humoring me and this smaller group of students who really, yeah. really loved, loved yeah. the show. And then it's sort of as we became more passionate and as the contest sort of, you know, as it got brought up and there was all those weeks where we didn't know who had won or not, it sort of, it started to grow. Ready. And yeah. at, by this point, I would say not only has every single one of my kids seen an episode of Teen Wolf, at least, um, but almost all 900 students in the school have come up to me <laughs> at some point. And teachers, too. It's been crazy. I had the math teacher come up to me and one day after the contest and be like, I hate you so much right now. And I was like, why? What did I do? And she said, I stayed up all night watching the first two seasons because they were on Netflix. And I was oh, like, no. I'm sorry. That is so great. And I feel like that is so reflective of the fandom in general. Like, you have your friends who, like, humor you at first. Like, okay, I'll watch an episode if you really want me to. And then they get sucked into it. And then they spend all night watching every season of Teen Wolf, and it just grows and grows. It's so funny. It's like your classroom's like a little microcosm of, of everybody else. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what's planned for me next. I don't know what I'm doing after my teaching program ends. And, you know, I know I'm moving somewhere else and moving on to something else. But it will always kind of warm my heart to know that, if nothing else, I left behind me a very small but growing Teen Wolf army. <laughs> Yeah, that's comforting. Um, yeah, I mean, what I was just gonna say as well, like Karen is, yeah, that that whole idea of that 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 just keeps happening in the fandom. Do you remember when we interviewed Haley Webb and and when she got the role, um, she was like, you know, she had her friends like calling her up, being like, hey, so we're we going out this weekend weekend, and she's like, no one talked to me. I need to find out who the alpha is. Like she kind of watched it to see what was going on with the show, and then like spent an entire weekend like watching the entire thing and getting like crazy unwashed cat lady in her house over it which is so true for like everyone I know who's like started the show like they just I don't think I've ever got through two seasons I mean obviously they're short seasons but I don't think when I watched it the first time I had ever gotten through a show so fast like I was just like oh my god (laughs) sucking it up so yeah it's it does that to people apparently yeah yeah all right, so we're ready to talk about death now, other no, than Kate's death. Yes. <laughs> oh, Karen. All right. Yes. I suppose we are. Okay. Uh, so basically what we wanted to do first was talk about the death in Teen Wolf more generally, I guess, and sort of like, because this is a horror show and so a lot of people do die uh more so in season three we noticed than the other seasons so many yeah like twice as long it's really intense but uh you know in terms of how people die on the show like what it actually looks like visually and even the the characters 
not only the amount of characters, but which characters in terms of like more important characters than the minor characters. How do you think Teen Wolf racks up next to other shows, specifically other supernatural shows, where they also have a lot of deaths either week to week or as, like in a season in general? I mean, my thing about the first thing I would say about sort of Teen Wolf deaths in general is that obviously, you know, as we said, it, it is a horror show and, and the more deaths there are, sort of the higher the stakes are, like in terms of, especially in terms of t- characters they care about. Like, you know, in, in a show where, you know, it's it's not like a high school show just, oh, so-and-so is moving away to college, you know, they're not on the show anymore. Basically anyone who comes into the show um, who then wants to leave or, you know, wants to to try something else or, you know, has a shorter contract. If they're a main character that people end up kind of caring about, you know, no matter who they are, that is like the writing staff are definitely going to jump on that as an opportunity to like raise the stakes by killing someone that the audience cares about. And that's obviously a horror show, you know, or a supernatural show has more of an opportunity to do that than like, I don't know, Glee or like, you know, some show that is is not a, obviously death a, a regular feature um so much that in the interviews around when um daniel Sharman left at the end of this season along with crystal reed um he actually said like please don't kill my character in case i want to come back like he had to say to them please don't kill me because anytime anyone wants to leave they're like yeah we get to kill someone in like a <laughs> big way that's going to be an emotional impact and like you know obviously that happened with allison and with Boyd and and various other people and then we find out later that some of the deaths you know uh, weren't you know were not necessarily someone trying to leave but like a further plan for later on like like Kate but I don't know in in general I don't think I've ever watched a show uh that has the same amount of of deaths and horror as Teen Wolf like a lot of the the supernatural or science fiction shows I've watched have been a little lighter like um like Doctor Who is obviously quite uh, PG rated. I feel like Buffy had a lot of deaths, but it also had a lot more seasons and a lot more episodes. It was like twenty two, you know, twenty two episode seasons for seven seasons. Uh, the amount of main characters, like the amount of the main character gang that ended up dying within the course of the show on Buffy, I think, is actually less than people who we've seen technically in the pack die so far on Teen Wolf. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I keep comparing it to Supernatural because that's obviously been on air for, I think, nine seasons now. It's going into its 10th one. And there have been a lot of deaths on the show, but a lot of those deaths are either very minor characters or, like, they're the monsters, the people who are the bad guys. And although there have been plenty of very significant deaths... I feel like on Teen Wolf, like the deaths that we usually do get, because it's not like a Monster of the Week type of show, usually the villain runs the course of the entire season, the deaths that we get are always way more traumatic than on a lot of those other shows that do the Monster of the Week type of thing. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the biggest differences with Teen Wolf. One thing I noticed about the deaths that I thought was was really interesting and I don't, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but, um, I mean, every death in a show, especially when you're so connected to the characters like Teen Wolf, kind of forces you to be, you have to connect with these characters, they're so, they're so relatable. 
I feel like what, what they've been able to do by, by having these deaths is really show the struggle that would really be real with Scott's pack being so new and, you know, barely formed and, you know, the old pack being gone and there's nothing to, tu- there's no one to turn to for advice or anything mm-hmm. like that. I think it really shows how tumultuous it is and how unstable and unsteady. And I think that kind of adds to the, the anxiety and the tension that, yeah. the, that the yeah. show tries to build. Yeah, there's definitely an aspect that we I've talked about before, which is that like for a show that is a you know, a supernatural show about werewolves, every aspect about the show except the fact that werewolves exist is incredibly realistic, and I think that that is a good example of that. Like cuz there's other shows where say supernatural things are happening and no one knows or like you know, it doesn't seem to affect the world that much or whatever, which is, you know, not necessarily that realistic an impression, but like Teen Wolf, I've always kind of said, is really, to me, an idea of what the world really would be like if those kind of things were happening. Though I often have questions about whether people would, like, really be that lack of morality. Like, you know, just because you're an alpha or whatever, running around in an alpha pack. Like, this whole, like, beneath the law or, like, beneath humanity thing or, like, you know, apart from it or whatever... I don't know how that would happen in in real life or whether, you know, whether it would actually affect people's senses that much. But but in general, yeah, I feel like that despite the fact that people aren't more kind of worried about, like, you know, what's going on around them or at least we don't really see the reactions of a lot of people besides from the pack. There aren't very many side characters who aren't in the circle, if you know what I mean. We don't see the general, you know, state of affairs in the teacher staff room or random other <laughs> students or whatever. God, imagine if we did. But, it's messy. I'm going to tell you now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, you know, I, I felt like, you, for example, Boyd and Erica both dying, you know, disappointed a lot of people. But like, I think it's pretty representative of the fact that Derek was a total flop as an alpha, went and chose some troubled teens, didn't really know what to do with them and sort of just like, it, it was a direct follow-on from, like, the you know, stupid and, and reckless behaviour on Derek's part and on the part of these really uneducated, desperate teenagers who are like, yeah, I'll make that choice to become a werewolf at 15 and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Like, I think it's pretty, you know, unless they were being sheltered, like, you know, from the world, like, oh, I just have these superpowers now, but, like, I'm not participating in the werewolf world. I just happen to be not sick anymore or whatever in terms of Erica, for example. Yeah, I think that it's, like, pretty pretty realistic that they would kind of fail so quickly. I mean, Boyd really sucked. I'm not going to lie. That, that His circumstance really sucked. But, but, yeah, I don't know. It's just, you know, the, the, their whole circumstance originally, for example, Erica and Boyd, was that, you know, Derek tried to make them his pack and he sort of screwed up and they ran off and then they ran into trouble and it's like I don't think you should be making teenagers into werewolves by choice you know these people who are clearly like not emotionally mature or stable enough to really know what they're doing like as opposed to it you know Scott becoming a werewolf which was a circumstance of um, accident and having to deal with what he got doled out but Mm -hmm. I don't know it's yeah, I, I do feel like a lot of the deaths are realistic circumstances, given yeah, given the nature of of everything that's going on. But but I don't know. And 
visually, I think they're really realistic, too. And, and this sort of segues into our next question, which is which of the deaths stand out to us most. But I remember watching the pilot 10 o'clock at night all by myself. Everybody else is asleep. And you see Laura Hale's half, you know, cut in half body lying there in the middle of the woods and it scared the crap out of me and I don't really like horror a lot I'm getting into it more now and Teen Wolf is probably one of the reasons why that is but um I'm pretty wimpy to tell you the truth and that really scared me but it was also one of those things that kept me going with the show right from the beginning because it was scary and it was realistic and it wasn't gimmicky or stupid or silly and it didn't look bad. It looked really, really gory and kind of awesome. And I think that that theme has sort of carried through the entire show, specifically, I think, with the uh, Omega that Gerard killed. He cut in half. That was horrible, but it was also really cool and really gory and they got away with a lot with that I think yeah and it's just one of those things that I think you can't look away from you know I think we were saying this is a very minor death like more minor than even that Omega's plot line but one that always stood out to me visually as well was um the drunk guys that were harassing Scott and Styles when they went out drinking together in I think in season one uh, and one of them ending up being killed by, like, turned upside down, like, burnt in a trash can or in a, a barrel fire. That was, uh, yeah. that image yeah. has stuck with me for a long time. So, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that, guys. into your brain? Oh, Karen. <laughs> Karen, really? 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 Oh. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. It's seared into my brain, Karen. Um, wow. And, yeah, but, but yeah, it, it has a lot. I'm trying to think. Like, you know, some of the special effects on Teen Wolf are not fantastic. Usually when it's post-production, you know, visual effects like digital imaging, um, some of that's not the best because um, they don't have, like, the biggest budget or the biggest amount of time to work on special effects. Like, they ain't, you know, Marvel sitting there in, like, a movie house, you know, spending two years making one two-hour film they're making an hour's episode every week you know it takes a lot longer than one week to make one episode but you know the time that it takes to edit and stuff is is obviously much shorter than you know uh, than in film and so the special effects aren't necessarily the best but the the digital special effects aren't necessarily always the best but the visual special effects where it comes down to like makeup and stuff like that or like you know, making a you know a dead body look real or gross, and that's actually like physically done, is really cool and and really well done, and um and something that is really impressive. I mean, this is you know just an example. I mean, not of the the bloodiness, uh, but the special effects. I didn't even realize until we were at ByteCon, ByteCon, that how good the makeup is. Not that I thought it looked super bad on the show or anything. I didn't think it looked bad at all. But we met. Um, I think his name was also Tyler. Um, he's a yep. sta- yeah. He's a stand-in on the show, basically. So he he like does lighting preparation and all of that kind of thing. Anyway, so he, he works on the show as like a not a cast member, but as like a a setter upper of of stuff. And but anyway, they they took him into the special effects makeup chair and put um a wolf face on him. Like put the you know. So he was walking around all day with 
you know, the wolf ears and the, the forehead and stuff like that. And I touched his face because he allowed that. Oh, I did not just creepily walk up to him. And, <laughs> face. and the way that it joins and the way that it looks, like it doesn't look cheesy. It looks real. It looks like, you know, obviously you'd be startled if you walked into someone like that on the street thinking it was real life. But it looks so legit. Like it, And it feels so legit and, and it's so beautifully and almost subtly done that or I think all of the makeup like when they when they do stuff like that when they do you know a, a visual effects that they can physically work on they're really good like they're they're such a good team and and I mean the special effects panel um at BikeCon as well BikeCon is <laughs> they talk the guys who work on the special effects have worked on like big budget movies and have worked on all sorts of things um did you get to sit through the whole special effects panel Karen at BikeCon Yes, I did. That did, was fascinating. Did they talk a lot about death? I had to go out during it to take care of something and I missed a bit of it. Did they talk about doing bodies or did they talk about like doing the wolf faces and stuff? Uh, I think they talked more about the wolf faces and which was so cool because I was really surprised by the quality of it too. Like you said, not because I ever thought it looked bad on the show, but I guess I always figured that part of it kind of came from the lighting and how they yeah, like, do see, things in post. Whereas like, if you like, we were right there with Tyler and we were looking at his face and it was seamless and it looked so good in yeah. real life that really took me by surprise yeah you kind of it does look like the kind of thing that like you know you kind of you're not shocked by seeing it on a screen and you kind of assume oh it's special effects but you don't realize how much of that is actually physically real if you know what I mean yeah. and how much it it was you know it's not just you know drawn in or whatever and and that that really impressed me so I'd you know not surprised that you know a lot of their their bloody things also are so <laughs> uh, so well done. Um, yeah, like Kali. Kali's death, I remember yeah. being really impressed with the makeup with the glass through the face and all that stuff. I thought that was really impressively done. Yeah, yeah. And um, that, in case you missed our uh, live podcast at BikeCon, um, obviously you, you you all kind of missed it. There was only about 30 people there. But, you know, um, if, if you missed the recording of the podcast, um, Felicia was talking about that, that as well, um, how that was you know, one of the ways that they, they often do broken glasses um, with, like, sugar. Like, they make sheets out of, you know, very clear sugar toffee that they then break. And she was like, yeah, I was laying on the floor there for eight hours and occasionally I'd just, like, eat a piece to keep my energy <laughs> up. And I was like, oh! Uh, but, but, yeah, like, as we said, you know, when we, we saw the costumes and stuff, you know, some of the used costumes, so much blood on everything, Always so much blood. Oh, yeah. So much blood just randomly on the floors of like the the hospital seat, you know, and the the set and stuff like that. It's yeah, yeah, a lot of blood and and um and none of the kind of throat ripping or like you know biting or or you know that kind of violence. I don't think has ever looked super super cheesy or or bad. So it would be cool to spend a day with the the makeup team and see how they do you know all their their wounds and horrible horrible things. Yeah, and I think one of the cool things about Teen Wolf, too, is that there's such a variety of how 
people have died. It's not everybody getting killed by werewolves. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, like, with the glass or with the Victoria and the knife. Or and the threefold drowning. death and all of those yeah, things. exactly. Yeah. And, like, the drowning with Matt and all of this stuff. Like, it's not just the same thing over and over again. They have a lot to play with. So I guess that's a good time to ask, you know, which deaths, for any reason, whether it be the gore or, like, the emotional impact of it, which deaths have stood out to you guys the most? Oh, I know my answer to this one. Go right on. Off, right off the top okay. of the bat. Because we were talking earlier about that reaction of, like, when you first watch Teen Wolf, you know, I, mm. I was a little unsure. I watched it because my kids told me to, and I was like, I don't know. I, you know, I guess we'll see. And I remember one of the moments that struck me where, you know, I had, I had loved the show but really pushed me into the point of, this is a really great show, was Victoria's death. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, you talk about an emotional punch and just her bravery, not just in that one scene, but throughout the, the scenes that led up to that throughout the episode, um, you know, with, with that culminating in the, the stabbing on the bed, I just remember being like, that was, that was so beautifully done and so impactful. And then the way, you know, Crystal responded to it and JR responded to it, it was, I just remember that being a moment when I went, oh, that you can see how that's changing the reality of the show. Yeah, I definitely agree with that one as being uh, it was already an incredibly huge deal for me um, as we spoke about when we recapped that episode many moons ago and then Edie's uh, explanation of of that at BiteCon as well if if anyone got to see uh, her panel or the recaps of what she said was so intense and and I remember... You know, it, it it's not a it's not a death that's such a big deal in terms of um you know gore or violent murder or, or things like that. But um emotionally, that was certainly yeah you know close to number one, if not number one, for me. And uh you know Allison and J you know Crystal and Jr. Allison and Chris's grief afterwards as well, like the hospital scene. Uh, that was like such a realistic portrayal of of grief like that could have been out of like you know that could have been out of a show like house or Grey's anatomy where you were getting a real kind of like a hospital based you know family drama as opposed to like a teen wolf horror drama and it just sort of shows that things come in all you know it you know death comes in in all different ways and uh and uh yeah the way that that was acted from everyone was was such a big deal yeah Aiden was another big deal, as we discussed, for me, because the the whole twin thing was incredibly upsetting. So that was a huge, uh, yeah, huge moment that was, you know, an unexpected emotional hit in terms of uh, a character that people weren't really necessarily sure if they backed or not. And then this, this death scene was sort of turned it all around. But in terms of sort of grossness in, like, death, like in terms of like gore and like oh, uh, definitely Ennis was the worst oh, for me. Yeah, <laughs> um, that one definitely stuck out with the face squishing. Again, the acting of Kali after she finds out he's dead is also pretty phenomenal. But the face squishing was definitely my grossest moment. And then I guess um, we were talking about some minor sort of deaths. I mean, as well, like characters that aren't necessarily, you know, the, the main, either the main pack or the main villain. Um, 
I think uh, one that was quite a big deal both for the show and 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 you know the the moment itself was um, Derek killing Paige as well because that yeah. was just horrible. But but yeah, um, I know there's so many that we've got to go through. Like you know we, we we could talk a little bit about each one. But Karen, what were your favorites? Well, I I kind of want to go back to Victoria really quick because that's one that I feel like has grown on me a lot. I mean, a lot of that has come from Edie's panel because the way that she explained it was just absolutely incredible. But I remember when it first happened, I was just so angry at Victoria for feeling like she needed to kill herself. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily emotionally impactful for me, but watching everything unfold, especially for Allison, but also for Chris and how they kind of react to that and their emotions and the different paths that they go down was, I think it stood out to me more, like the after effects of it stood out to me more than the actual death. But you know, going back and watching it more and kind of understanding what's to come, I think is going to be kind of big and probably will make me a lot more emotional. But I guess in terms of emotion, like, you know, like I said before, Aiden was a big one for me just because of the twin thing. That was just really hard to watch. But I agree that Paige was another one that made me really, really emotional. And I think that was, again, because I knew what was coming. I knew what an impact that had on Derek. And it's just, I don't know, it's tough. And it's really hard to watch that sort of play out. I guess one of the ones that I was disappointed in. What? Go on. (laughs) No, no. What do you think I'm going to say? Just go on. No. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Uh, Was Katashi. Oh, yes. Okay. I thought you were going to... You You thought I was going to say Matt, didn't you? Yes, I did. But I also knew you were going to bring up Katashi because you're annoyed that we didn't get more (laughs) Katashi. I I wish we could have seen his death. I mean, if only to have him on our screens a little bit more. But uh, and I kind of feel like that plot line sort of dropped off. So it would have yeah. been nice just to have a little bit more of a conclusion like, to it. But if it's not going to be yeah. creepy, Matt, it's going to be Mortal Kombat. Like, you know, <laughs> that's Karen has two 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 massive failings in terms of Team Wolf. Failings. <laughs> No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, no, yeah, Katashi was a bit dis- like of an understatement and a bit disappointing because we kind of liked him when we saw him, you know, Mortal Kombat aside. And uh, we, you know, and it, then it's just like, oh, he's dead. Okay, off screen. Yeah. Like, I don't know what purpose it served for him to be dead except for that they got his finger separated from his body. But um, yeah. But I don't know. Um, I think the entire Katashi situation might have been a bit confusing for everyone, given the, the conversation we had with the lady writers about quote-unquote tiny bullshit, if you have uh, listened to the episode we did on set. Uh, so it seems like that the whole Katashi finger scenario might have been a few crossed wires before it got to screen, which is unfortunate, I guess, for us, or especially for Karen, uh, because we didn't get to see more of him. And it sounds like she will never be over it. No. Probably not. <laughs> so how about Matt? And how about your good friend, Mr. Harris, Karen? I know that you're a big oh. fan of both of those people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I am just really weird, aren't I? <laughs> I, I love apologize. it. I love it. 
Um, Matt, I mean, Matt, I am kind of disappointed in because it was such, well, you know what? I mean, there's two sides to this. I feel like his death was sort of an understated thing. I mean, it wasn't big and grand, but at the same time, uh, to have him die by being drowned, given that was his biggest fear is like one of the things based around it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. one of the most horrible, horrible things yeah. ever. And, I mean, Gerard is gross anyway, but the fact that he did it that way, knowing everything about Matt just makes him... I mean, Matt was not a good guy. Like, I'm not here trying to say that Matt was a misunderstood, like, anti-hero. No. Karen, he you, was- literally, you literally asked for a De La Canima 2006 presidential campaign button. But... <laughs> That is a thing you have requested from Courtney. That I have not gotten yet. Thank you very much. I know he's a crazy person. I just, I like him anyway. I can't explain. (laughs) It's okay. I'll forgive you. It is is like a a crazy, horrible death, though, given everything that he had gone through. I just, I can't even imagine. And Harris, who I used to hate, and now I'm, like, really sad that he's not on the show anymore. Uh, I actually think he had a good death, although I'm not I'm not totally convinced he's dead dead. He's dead. I, I don't know <laughs> how much did we see. And uh, who, I think it was Styles. Didn't he mention something about, like, not having seen a body or something like that? Yes, but, I mean, Jennifer's threefold sacrifice, like, she needed three people of the one variety, and it worked. So unless she got another one that they never found, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I think there's room there. There's some wiggle room. All right. Paris can come back and be a creeper who goes to teenage raves and, like, hits off people. <laughs> like, that can... Oh, my God. <laughs> Worst teacher ever. By the way. <laughs> It's okay. We believe that you don't go to teenage raves and hit on people, Katie. It's oh, fine. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. He, he's, you know, he was some of yeah. Like that that whole concept of the the threefold death and that the sacrifices obviously was a big part of death in in season three. And that was, you know, that was an interesting concept for them to have have researched. And then in season three B, like Bardo again, like another big death concept. They spend a lot of time researching weird ways to die. Like that's, you know, someone's job to do that. So, you know, death consultant, probably not their official job. It's probably, you know, (laughs) I believe that's something that uh, if you are a writer's assistant uh, is, uh, is a big part of your job to be like, we want to do this, go research like some different ways that this could be a thing, Uh, which is cool because I like research. So I'll take that job. Um, Yeah, that's that's (laughs) Yeah, and then I guess, I mean, Erica's death was obviously off-screen and and slightly uh, disappointing, Um, but again, she wanted to leave, like Gage Golightly wanted to leave the show and and do new pilots, and so they decided to, you know, have an emotional impact of Erica dying, which, you know, on one hand is a shame, but on another hand, I would have liked her to stay around, but if she didn't want to stay around, then we we can't control that. But Boyd, obviously, his death was on the screen and obviously drove the plot a long way. So let's talk about Boyd's death for a moment because, you know, we you obviously know that that messes the hell out of Derek. Ob- we obviously, at, you know, BiteCon saw that the, the twins, you know, from their perspective uh, would have liked to have, have not done that. Both, I think, both out of character, both the actors would have liked their characters not to have done that. And I think the characters themselves 
would have liked to have not uh, done that in order to have their kind of redemption taken a bit more seriously. So, you know, did Boyd's death kind of mean anything to you when it happened? Like, or was it, you know, only in retrospect or, or what, what do you think about that one? I mean, other than the river of tears that flooded my apartment. (laughs) Just like Uh, Derek's apartment was flooded. Yeah. (laughs) Literally my apartment looked like the loft that day. Um, (laughs) I was so amazingly sad about Boyd's death. Um, And, you know, watching the ripple effect of that was really, really traumatic. Yeah. See, I was sort of on the fence about it because on the one hand, I was really sad that it happened. And I was really sad that it happened in that way, especially later on when I started liking Ethan a bit more. It was always sort of this thing that kept being brought up like, oh, remember how he helped kill Boyd? And it did sort of take away from a lot of their yeah. uh, arc being redeemed and everything, which was sad. I think in the end, everything sort of worked out uh, because Aiden did sacrifice himself. But until that point, it was always kind of lingering in the back of your head. But even though I was really shocked and sad that Boyd was the one that died, I was also super relieved that it wasn't Isaac. Like, I think my house would have been flooded if it was Isaac. So (laughs) I was kind of a little sad, but also a little happy during that episode. I don't know. I think they both had the potential to develop in different ways. And, I mean, the fact that they chose Boyd rather than Isaac, you know, I I think that was based – uh, I'm not exactly sure of Sinkle Walls' circumstance, whether he asked to leave or whether it was just like, you're, you're not on the show anymore. But I think it was more to do with the fact that Isaac was kind of already more Scott's person and Boyd was still very loyal to Derek. Like, Boyd was always, like, the dynamic of Boyd was very much like, you know, his, you know, Derek's second and, and, and he sort of actually did kind of stand by him. And... um and I don't know, I think that it makes sense that it was Boyd. I know people were very disappointed that it was, not disappointed that it was him instead of Isaac, but they thought it was unfair um, that he, you know, was undeveloped and had to die, whereas Isaac was more developed and didn't die. But, you know, I don't necessarily think that's like a choice of like, oh, we don't like this character anymore. I don't know, it's Boyd's death, yeah, it's it's very distressing. And, and again, the aftermath for Derek is, um, you know, horrible and there's also you know the kind of question of we've had this you know before like what kind of thing kills a werewolf like is it you know if they can recover from wounds you know what kind of thing actually makes a werewolf die because all he did was get stabbed with some claws like and the claws don't go that deep like you know like you know is it just that they like punctured his heart or his lung or something and they didn't get like enough time to heal like we've had this discussion many times about like what ways you can actually for sure wound a werewolf that it'll work so can you remember any of that Karen like what we've talked about uh yeah I mean I've it's something that we've wondered for a while because it you have them getting shot with arrows and sometimes like they can just take them out and it's totally fine but then even with Jackson like um he kind of died quote-unquote in a very similar way and it makes you wonder exactly like if it's more the intention or like who's doing it the fact that it's a werewolf rather than the actual wounds 
because I don't know, but also it's very visual. I mean, it looks really cool and painful and terrible. And so I kind of wonder if maybe they're just sort of going for something like that rather than the practicality of it. Although I hope they do explore that at some point in the future. Yeah. I had a theory about this. Yeah. Sorry to jump on you. I don't, I guess in my head, um, being the crazy person that I am, I, I guess in my head when I saw that scene and I saw the way he died, because I, I think we all had that instinctive reaction of like, oh, that, you know, that didn't seem, I mean, we have seen them literally pull arrows out of themselves and recover. And why is, why is this killing him in so quickly? And I guess, you know, knowing what we do about packs in the show and how they function as families and how there's that emotional bond and like mm. stuff like that. I always, I always wondered if it was like a betrayal thing. Yeah. I like if your alpha tries to kill you, then yeah. it's going to work. Like, yeah. a, like more like than like a superficial it, wound. Like, yeah, yeah, because what you said about, you know, Boyd being Derek's second, I always viewed him, you know, there's that really significant line where Boyd says to Scott, I want to be like you. Mm. And I always wondered if he was trying to be that for Derek. And so I wonder if that betrayal playing in there wasn't part of what killed him so quickly. But that's just my crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not crazy. Trust me. We've. You know, we don't even know what's going on half the time. We just, like, say things. Like, oh, that probably makes sense. Uh, I mean, <laughs> well, it's true. But, okay, I wanted to talk a bit. Of, we also had a, you know, talk. We haven't really talked about the deaths yet that didn't necessarily stick, which are people who we thought were dead and then came back to life in some way, um, or people who we thought were fatally wounded and then had never died, if you know what I mean. Uh, two people who were shown as dead and the world thought they were dead and then they were apparently either reincarnated or secretly ran away and let people believe they were dead were <laughs> Peter and Kate. And then we had Brayden, who is the um, emissary lackey, I guess, that Morel hired to uh, help out the the wolves who are in captivity. And then she helps Derek and Peter in, in season 3B uh, after Jukalian had slashed her throat. I have some questions about her as well. So which one of those did you kind of want to look at first? Karen, do you have sort of anything on on these three quote-unquote deaths? Yeah, well, let's talk about Kate first, because I feel like right now that's the most relevant. And that's obviously because at the end of season three, she pops back up again after dying at the end of season one, quote unquote, dying. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that's something that nobody ever contested. Like, we all assumed that she really was dead. But apparently, Jeff in particular, yeah, and Jeff in particular has said that they made her the kind of gouging of her throat as vague as possible. They showed it, but they didn't want there to be tons of blood. They didn't want there to be like this deep wound. And that was kind of planting the seed for when they could actually get Jill Wagner back on the show, which they can for season four. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Resurrections. And I think that Teen Wolf does it a lot. I mean, they've done it with Kate. They've done it with Peter. Both people who had died in season one. So that's kind of something interesting to think about, too. But for some reason, I feel like Kate in particular, I'm really excited about this. I don't like Kate. I never have. I think she's creepy. But I think the fact that she is now this were-creature, a were-jaguar, we've been told, Mm. is really interesting and I want to see how this affects her as a character but also her relationships with Chris with uh you know 
Scott and the other, like the werewolves and everything, and how she's going to fit into what's going on in season four. I think that what they're doing here, although technically they've kind of done it before with bringing Peter back, is just really, really interesting. I mean, I think the difference with these two deaths, with Kate and Peter, is the idea Peter was a true resurrection. We don't know how he did it exactly yet. Obviously, Lydia you know, is a big part of that. And Lydia, you know, should possibly part, be part of this conversation as she, you know, we don't really know how she communicates with the dead or whatever it is that she's she's doing. But Peter was dead. And he, for some reason, whether it was like he made a Horcrux or whatever it was, <laughs> he came back to life in some way. Whereas Kate, I feel like the idea is that she was never dead. If you know what I mean. She, she was might have been pronounced dead or like, you know, buried or whatever but like she either got herself out maybe they thought she was dead and then she sort of came back to life in her coffin and clawed her way out of the grave like we thought maybe might be possible given that vision allison has of her like clawing her way up a tunnel or she was never dead and someone got her out of there you know before the funeral and whatever and you know sent her off to south america to learn where jaguar tactics which possibly may have been gerard given that he showed up in time for that um oh Oh, sorry. I just thought of something. <laughs> yeah. The way that you said that reminded me because we just learned about this uh, new character called the Benefactor. And the way that you said, you know, somebody like helped her out of her grave to like send her off to like learn these tactics or whatever. I wonder if maybe that could be in this Benefactor's cards or something like that. Like he collects these supernatural creatures to like do his bidding or something. That would Ew. be kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Kate potentially never died. So it's not a resurrection, if you know what I mean. But we don't know. Like, um, they, they said, you know, yeah, Jeff said very purposefully, uh, that they, they made sure to include that conversation that, um, you know, that, that Kate had with Chris saying, oh, could someone get turned from a scratch, you know? And he was like, maybe if the claws went deep enough and, you know, apparently that's a thing that's happened. So, you know, that means Peter is Kate's alpha, even though he's not an alpha anymore, which should be fun for everyone. Um, and Peter's resurrection is something we really don't know how he how he handled. Um, Lydia, you know, obviously, as we've said, you know, as this kind of death connecty person, uh, should have a relatively large role next season. So perhaps we will learn more about that then um i don't know how much of a plot line peter is going to have you know if it's going to tie in with kate's at all um but i'm pretty sure it will tie in with lydia's so uh hopefully that's something we discover more about and so yes we've had some people come back to life but given that it was in different ways uh or one potentially was never really dead i'm kind of kind of okay with it i mean they can't keep pulling that trick like oh dead person coming back too many times but at the moment, I'm willing to give them a pass. Uh, but Brayden is the kind of person that I'm curious about. Like, her big thing is, you know, that she has these scars on her neck. Um, so presumably she's not a werewolf. She got her throat slashed, but she survived it, but not as a werewolf. Um, you know, even though Jukalian, who's the, you know, alfalfa, did it. And, you know, sh- she hadn't healed, so she's not a werewolf. I mean, I suppose, did Scott's werewolf scar ever heal? He heals everything else, but does his bite scar ever heal? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, 
Um, because I couldn't remember whether it's like everything heals except the scar where you got the bite, or if it's just everything heals full stop. So if we're presuming everything heals full stop, Brayden survived that throat slashing from Deucalion without becoming a werewolf. So there's kind of the question of how come Peter's throat slashing turned Kate, but Deucalion's throat slashing didn't turn Brayden, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Unless it just didn't go deep enough. Yeah. And, you know, there's also the question of what exactly is the benefit of thinking that character was died, if you know what I mean, like showing her get throat slashed and people assume she's dead and then having her come back. Like, is it just kind of, you know, surprise value or is it like, you know, just potential of perhaps not knowing whether they're going to get be able to get an actor back or something like that? That's the kind of thing that when we met with the writers, they say, you know, all these kind of like choices sometimes is like a production situation where you don't know whether you're going to be able to get someone. So you have to like make things ambiguous. It's not like a matter of like just randomly making choices. It's kind of like you have to work with, with what you have. So perhaps she didn't know whether she could come back. So they're like, maybe she's dead. Maybe she's not. And then they were like, Oh, surprise. She's not dead. Uh, Brayden as a werewolf might've been, might've been interesting, but, um, (laughs) But yeah, just the the mirror of like the throat slashing by an alpha. I'm gonna be very curious to find out, you know, why Kate got the the lucky strike basically from uh from Peter, um, and how he's gonna feel about turning her as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, talk about feelings. One thing I'm really excited about for season four. I mean, talk about death and fallout. Yeah. I think it's pretty. One thing that's been pretty established is that Kate did love Allison a lot yeah yeah a lot so the emotional fallout from her if she doesn't know already her learning that she's dead or just her reaction to it I am really excited to see how because that's going to be so sad yeah in a horrible kind of way um Allison's death obviously was something you know that was a big major major part of, of last season um and it was it was relatively understated in the physicality of it like in the in the actual she got stabbed by a sword, you know, there wasn't heaps of blood, she didn't have her face ripped off or anything like that, like, you know, she got stabbed by a sword, and because she's just a, a mere human, it, like, you know, punctured an organ or whatever, and she sort of lay there dying, and um, I would really love to, uh, I mean, we kind of asked Jeff, we, you know, we were, I took Karen to see Les Miserables in New York, and she was like, Eponine's death, She'd never seen it. She's like, it reminded me so much of Allison uh, in the scene uh, in which Eponine uh, dies uh, after being shot and is sort of lying there and gets the, the song A Little Fall of Rain uh, with Marius. And, you know, I've seen a bunch of gift sets that appropriate that song for the Allison scene, and it's all very emotional. And Karen was like, oh, it reminded me of that when we saw it. And I think we asked Jeff about it, and he was like, no, I've never seen Les Mis. And I was, like, mad at him. But um, I can't remember. Was that in the panel, Karen, or was that just something random that happened? No, that was, yeah, that was his solo panel. Yeah. And then he asked you if you would see it with him. Yeah, I will. I will, Jeff. I will. But, um. But yeah, it's it's I mean it's it's not like it does not like that trope belongs to Les Mis and only Les Mis, but it, it is a very similar and, and kind of beautiful scene and it's it's just, you know, a an idea of a, you know, vaguely violent human death. Like it's not it's not someone necessarily getting their face ripped off. It's not, you know, someone getting cut in half. It's like, you know, a human mortal body getting, you know, a slight injury from uh, you know, we- weapons and and dying because that's sort of the chance that they're all 
they're all taking are doing this basically because uh, and, and and it's sort of not that obviously there's a lot of human victims in terms of the big bads doing various killings, especially with Jennifer who killed so many people that. Um, you know, it's just having one of the the big bat. You know, one of the the team, one of the main team, who's you know, obviously Erica's death was kind of quite dramatic, and and Boyd's death was quite dramatic, and they were werewolves. Whereas this is, you know, showing all it takes just to you know have a, a wrong step in the path of you know a weapon fight, and they've had so many weapon fights that one of the human people can just be taken out and gone and. Um, you know, we don't know if that applies for, for Lydia and Kira as well. I mean, obviously Kira's a kitsune, but we don't know how susceptible her body is, like, to, you know, being invincible. We don't know if she has those kind of superpowers as well as, you know, whatever it is she does with thunder and lightning and stuff. Uh, but Lydia, Styles, you know, all of the parents, like, you know, even as a hunter, you know, it's, you know, Chris is a hunter or, or whoever might come back. Yeah, they're, they're all very, very fragile, and it will be interesting to see both, you know, Kate, obviously, coming back, and then Chris and, and Scott, and, and everyone's, if he, you know, Scott becomes more protective of the humans and doesn't want them in in combat or, or anything like that, like, you know, how that will, will carry over, because, yeah, Allison's death, you know, despite being the focal point of the season, was understated. It didn't take much to kill her, you know, because she's know just a, a girl despite being a hunter she's not like you know impenetrable to you know arrows and swords and stuff in the way that that a lot of the other fighting people were so i don't know if it'll show a change in sort of how scott feels about like letting his friends be involved in things i just talked for a really i long. hope so <laughs> sorry go on karen <laughs> i i hope so because i think that's really realistic and something that i'm really looking forward to is styles's reaction to it because even though it obviously wasn't his fault in the slightest i think that he's going to feel a lot of guilt over what happened and hopefully scott's going to be there for him and it's sort of going to solidify their relationship and they'll confide in each other and kind of make each other feel better but uh i think yeah allison's death is the biggest death that we've had on the show so far because she wasn't a villain she was one of the you know main characters and she's been with the show since the very beginning so i think that even though there's going to be a little bit of a time gap between the end of season three and the beginning of four hopefully they're still going to really explore the impact that she had you know, her death had on everyone's lives, because that's really important and something that I think Teen Wolf always does really well is that realistic side of everything, really, like we were talking about before, but particularly with the deaths. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's all it's all very, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, despite the fact that they're saying, you know, that season four may be a bit lighter, uh, they've also said that it's going to return to kind of more human problems, and I think this could possibly be an aspect of that in terms of taking a step back and going, hey, despite the fact that this weird and wacky stuff has happened in our lives and, like, that werewolves exist and banshees and cannamas and whatever the hell, um, we've kind of been acting like, you know, not, not as in the show, as in the characters themselves. They, they've kind of been like, oh, my God, because all of this stuff exists... You know, it must mean the rules have changed in terms of, like, 
you know, what we do and, and, and all of those kind of things. And I feel like it would be a moment for them, you know, Scott or Styles or Lydia or all of them to be like, oh, well, actually, you know, just because we know this stuff exists definitely does not make us as invincible as possibly we were deluding ourselves that it did, like, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So there's also some controversy, I guess, or discussion or, you know, debate about characters that people think should have died and didn't. And I guess uh, we should have, you know, an opinion on that or if anyone has any strong thoughts on that. Two of the biggest ones are um, Gerard, obviously, who we don't know what the hell he's doing right now. We didn't see him at all in 3B. He's probably still just coughing up black stuff, you know. He was meant to have... (laughs) you know, cancer and was dying anyway, was meant to get the bite and become a werewolf, and apparently he didn't. It just didn't take, and he's just coughing up black stuff forever. And people would have really liked him to die because he's gross and evil and caused a lot of other people to die throughout his manipulation and insanity. So I would be all for him dying, but, I mean, do you think there's a reason they've kept him? Do you think he is the benefactor, or do you think he's, like, masterminding other things? I definitely think he's up to something. I don't know that Gerard is capable of just sitting idly by and not plotting in some fashion. I feel like he's he's up to something behind the scenes. Yeah. Karen? I Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think he should die as well because he is super gross. But um, I'm still really bitter that he didn't turn out to be uh, the Nagitsune, the bandaged man, because, oh, man, I just I felt so strongly about that. And it didn't happen. So I would like him to be something like the benefactor where maybe he's pulling all these strings and stuff. Or even if he's not like that, I would like him to be some weird... Like, they could do something really weird with him because he doesn't necessarily have to follow the same rules as the other creatures in the show do, like the werewolves, because... We don't really know what happened to him. We don't know what the combination of the bite plus all of that mountain ash is going to do to him. So I would like to see him be some, like, twisted monster or something. Ew. I don't know. But Ew. they could they could do something pretty cool with him. They could totally do Kafka's metamorphosis with him. He could be turning into Cockroach Man for all we know. Ew. <laughs> oh. Ew. I mean, one of the, um, this is sort of more gossip than fact, I believe, but, um, one of the reasons I believe that Gerard's story isn't super finished is because apparently Michael Hogan, who plays him, is a, quite a famous character actor and has had quite a history, and apparently he's, he's a bit expensive for the show to have on as a regular. Um, like, he's, yeah. like I, I, I feel like they maybe can't affo- like necessarily afford to have him um, in you know every episode, or perhaps he wasn't in their budget for season 3B. Um, because they had to spend money on other things. Again, this is not a fact, but I have heard that he is um, quite an expensive actor to hire. So um, perhaps he, you know, they weren't, you know, not able to do what they wanted with him at at the the price that his agent wanted him for or or something like that. Like, that may be totally wrong, but it may be that they're trying to work out how to to get him back in a way that, you know, they can make work for them in a, a few episodes and, you know, having trying to fit him into the Nagitsune story didn't didn't fit, so they were just gonna kind of let him cough in the corner off screen for a while. Yeah, <laughs> I think that makes a lot of sense, and I think, I mean, we know for sure that his story is not over. Jeff said that at a solo panel, but we don't know 
when he's going to pop up again. Doesn't mean he's going to be in season four. Could be season five. We have no idea. But I think it's really interesting that they're hanging on to him. And I hope that when he does come back, it's a really good storyline that ends in his death. <laughs> he's literally the worst. He's the worst character. He's the worst yeah. character on the show. He's irredeemable. And there is, like, I understand, okay, I, I make this comparison to Harry Potter. Like, I understand that there are people out there who are, like, fans of, like, you know, they're fans of Snape or they're fans of Draco Malfoy or even Narcissa Malfoy, you know, even Bellatrix Lestrange, who is a crazy, crazy, crazy pants. But, like, they're fans of people who are, say, Death Eaters and they, they you know, find something to empathize with or they like that they're badass or something like that. But no one is legitimately a fan of Voldemort. No one is legitimately like, yeah, Voldemort's my favorite character in Harry Potter. I really back him. I, I like, I like, I, I empathize with him. I can make a case for like sad Voldemort, unless you're talking about like a very Potter musical Voldemort, which is hysterical. But um, <laughs> but you know, no one is legitimately like Voldemort is my favorite character. He's misunderstood. In the same way, I feel like any character on Teen Wolf could have an angle that you liked except Gerard. Any character on Teen Wolf at all, except Gerard. Yeah. I can understand that maybe if you like, like, yeah. gross, horrible characters and you like, oh, I like watching him be evil, but if Gerard is anyone's favourite character, like, you have a problem. Like, sorry, but it's it's not it's not okay. And um, it's not okay, and, and he is the worst, most gross and irredeemable character. And I want to see that badass lady hunter kill him. So I don't think Chris could do it. Ooh. And I don't think Scott could do it. Like, Ooh, yeah. I would like to see the badass lady hunter kill him. Like the, the grandma hunter who may or may not be Victoria's mother or Chris's mother or whoever we think she is. So death to Gerard. And another character that is a little more uh, con- both controversial in terms of whether he should have died or not and possibly a little more redeemable to some people is um, Deucalion who of all of the three A villains, he did not die. Um, basically, you know, you know, his pack, he was the alfalfa, the, you know, demon wolf, whatever the hell that meant. And, you know, Carly, he, he squished Ennis's face. Carly and Jennifer kind of killed each other. Well, Car- you know, Carly originally tried to kill Jennifer and then Jennifer killed Carly and then Peter killed Jennifer again and they all died. The twins kind of got their necks broken and then became non-alphas uh, but recovered. And then Deucalion not only recovered, not only wasn't killed, like Derek and Scott didn't kill him, they also healed him and gave him his sight back. They made Jennifer heal him and give him his sight back. So he's basically sort of kind of redeemed character and, and goes off into the the wilderness, uh, you know, with the warning never to be evil again. And some people liked this and some people really didn't like this. So what's you guys... Think, what did you guys think of his sort of ending? I, as far as Dekaling goes, I'm not oh. sure what what the popular opinion was. I feel what I mean. I feel like maybe I'm like hashtag unpopular opinion, but I I liked that they let him live because again I thought it was supposed to be rep- I guess in my own head again it was supposed to be representative of Scott's pack being a, a different kind of pack than because mm. we had spent all of three A looking at all these mistakes that had come before and all the things they had done wrong. Yeah. And Jacqueline being a huge part of that and almost like a like a foil to the, the pack Scott was trying to build, like the opposite. Mm. So I kind of, in my own head, I guess, thought that was supposed to be representative of the fact that Scott was trying to build something 
different than let's kill everybody. I mean, I understood the urge to kill him because I definitely had the urge to kill him a couple of times. But I thought that, you know, the fact that they let him go was supposed to show how it was going to be different with, with sort of Scott as the alpha. Yeah, I mean, I do think it said more about Scott and Derek than it did about, you know, whether Duke Halian was a redeemable character or not. You know, yeah. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, obviously in the flashbacks, you see Duke Halian was like total like peace man, hippie, you know, pacifist, whereas <laughs> the other people were a bit more like we should fight. Um, and so we don't know whether he's like gone all the way back to that now or, um, you know, whether he, he you know, whether it's just because of his sight. We definitely saw, you know, how gross Gerard was in terms of him attacking Jukalian, who at the time was very much an innocent um, and a, and a you know, a pacifist and, and not, not someone looking for a war of any type. And uh, that sucked. But I don't know, Karen, what was your take on it? I'm kind of in the middle here because I feel like on the one hand... I didn't particularly like the fact that Scott and Derek let him go because what was their reason for trusting him? You know, like he got his sight back and all of a sudden he sees the error of his ways literally and he's fine. Like, I don't really buy that. But at the same time, I really liked Deucalion as a character, like as a bad guy. I thought he played it really well, and I loved seeing his backstory when he was a good guy. And so now I, you know, obviously they've done this to potentially bring him back. We know that he's pulling strings with Brayden, so he's kind of connected to what's what happened in... 3b so i would really like to see his story carry on and for him to sort of prove that he's changed i think that could be a really cool redemptive arc to explore but who knows if they're gonna have time to do it in season four or if they're gonna you know be able to pull off something like that but i i really like the potential i mean i think yeah i think that the uh the 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 problem that most people had was that like you know they didn't like that he you know was all healed and survived and both Carly and Jennifer died I mean it's kind of hard to toss up a coin between like say Deucalion and Jennifer like Carly I see as not not a follower not like a a passive follower but like you know her and, and the rest of the alpha pack had sort of dedicated themselves to being you know the betas of Deucalion or whatever Jennifer was really screwed up and you know I I don't know whether she deserved to to die violently or not but I'm not all I think a lot of death comes down to the character that does the killing uh, rather than whether the person dying deserves it if you know what I mean like if Scott and Derek had found Jennifer maybe they wouldn't have killed her and if Peter had found Deucalion maybe he would have killed him if you know what I mean I think it comes more down to who's doing the killing whether than the character deserves to die and you know yeah. and you know Jennifer I'd, I have no idea if she could have been redeemed uh, you know something that we talked to about Haley at but you know with Haley at Bitecon was that she believed that who Julia like the original Jennifer was trying to be when she was actually being Jennifer and being a teacher and being with Derek and all of that kind of thing it's not like she had a split personality where she turned into the Dirac. Like, she kind of knew she was doing it. But she was trying to be that person. That's who she, you know, you know, despite the fact that she was a, you know, crazy dark wizard or druid or whatever it was. 
she was actually trying to be that person. She was trying to make that life for herself as Jennifer, and that's who she wanted to be. She, you know, she wanted to, on one hand, she was, like, all overcome with revenge and stuff, but if, if revenge hadn't come into the picture, she just wanted to, you know, a second chance at being Jennifer, and, and she was trying to be sincere. So I don't know if that would have actually been a... a a redeemable plot point for her given the fact she killed like 12 million people like in horrible sacrificial ways but i don't know um carly would have been an interesting person to keep as well but again that that storyline between jennifer and carly it, it, i think it comes down to who's doing the killing rather than who deserves to to be killed and, and jennifer was definitely going to kill carly so if she got the chance at it so i don't know it's I almost think that that indecisiveness that, you know, that we're not even, like, happy when the villains die, we're sad because we wanted to see more of them. I think that just lends to the really, you know, great characters that they are. I mean, yeah. the fact that people were so torn when Deucalion died and people were, or not when he died, when he was let go and so torn when Jennifer died and Kali and stuff like that. I think that really speaks to, you know, how cool we thought they were as characters. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, that being said, is there anyone that you either think has the potential to come back or you would like to, if you could either have the miraculous power to make a non-crappy plot line in where someone comes back from the dead, or if you think anyone whose death legitimately has the potential to come back from the dead, who do you think it would be? Other than me? Other than you. Yes. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Well, we want well, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> um... Gosh, who would I bring back from the dead? I, okay, maybe this is, I would love to see, and, you know, this is just me being the crazy person that I am. I would love to see Claudia Stilinski, which is ridiculous because we haven't talked about her at all, but oh yeah, um, she is one I would love to see come back because as, as amazing as the Styles and Sheriff relationship is, um, I want to see how she fit into that because it's obviously oh. such a close relationship. Speaking of, like, yeah. If you tied that into, like, Lydia being a banshee or whatever, imagine if Lydia started, like, channeling Claudia's ghost or something like that, and, like, maybe she wouldn't come... Maybe you, oh. she wouldn't have a corporeal form, but she'd, like, speak to Styles, like, oh. Lydia, and, like, I don't know. I don't know, man. That would mess Styles up That would be kind so of creepy, though. Yeah, Considering, I know. Because it's like, like, I'm in love with you, and now you're being my mom. Styles. Like, but also my mom. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh... Yeah. How about you, Karen? I mean, my vote is obviously for Harris, and oh, that's geez. not as ridiculous as it sounds. Okay. No, 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 because really, I, I kind of have a legitimate answer for this, because one, we didn't see his dead body, so I feel like there is a slight chance that he could possibly come back, but the thing is, I've always been super interested in his backstory because it is so obvious that he knew things that most other about people in Beacon Hills fire. did not yeah. know and he knew uh, yeah he, and he knew was a lot about the hellfire he was somehow and, like, connected to Peter yeah and he was like yeah. like we talked about like and, that he might have been this like little lackey who like you know the different supernatural people hired to do like dirty right work. right yeah well he was in the military and we know he, that don't we yeah I believe so mm -hmm. yes and he was also connected to Jennifer so he's sort of been tied to all of these different plot lines and I feel like even if we can't get him to come back I would really like to know his backstory because I just 
I find it fascinating that he could know all of that stuff and that he like kept it to himself, almost like Danny does too. So I don't know. Maybe he used to fend for Harris so. Danny. No, 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 no. Harris. Harris. Oh, Maybe that would he's be cool. I haven't even really thought about who I'd like to bring back to to life, um, honestly. Um, I mean, at this point, I, I like, I was so close as well in the um, when we were talking about it last season about who who was shooting the uh, the stuff at the twins and and that the the guys were all surprised at when I said Victoria, like, oh my god, maybe Victoria's not really dead or maybe she like you know became some weird werewolf on the run and it was actually you know same plot wrong Argent. Uh, so I, I kind of want to say Victoria, even because Edie is just, like, Amazing. someone who cares so much about the show and, like, so, you know, even though Edie would tell me off and she would say, for me to say Alison, but I would like to see Victoria because I think that she gives so much to the show and cares so much and thinks so much about the show. And that, and I, I know even that, that the crew have said, like, oh, it's so bad that we killed her so soon because we could have used her for so much more. So I think Victoria Argent would you know, would always be a welcome addition to the show because of um, the the passion that Edie has put into the role. So that would be a cool thing for me personally to, to see. I, you know, I don't know if it's a realistic plotline or not, but it was so close, like the Kate plotline was so close to what I predicted, but I thought it crazy theory it might have been Victoria. So I don't know, That would who, that's who I would choose. I don't know about if it's realistic or like a possible reincarnation. <laughs> More hails. I want more hails, always. All the hails. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I kept thinking about Talia. Like, that would be really oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Talia yeah. in some way would be really nice. I also really loved Reese and his death was really, like, that death of the Nagitsune, like, uh, of Corporal Reese oh. and him getting set on fire. And he was a lovely character for his one episode. And I, I, I don't know how we could see him again, but I, I would have liked to, to see him again in some way because... I was such a, a fan of him, and his story was so sad. He was, you know, very, very much a, a victim of circumstance, yeah. and he was lovely. So, I don't know. Oh, so many dead people. So many dead people. <laughs> uh, um. But somebody who's not dead is Jackson, and yes. I'm sure a lot of people know the story behind this, but there was actually two versions of what was going to happen to Jackson in the season two finale, and one of them was that he was actually going to die, and they decided to go with the other one, bring him back, and then Colton left for Arrow. Yeah. So uh, yeah, what I are your guys' thoughts on this? Uh, I always want Jackson back. I, I always Agreed. want Jackson back. I, I wouldn't have liked him to die because I always want the idea of Jackson existing. I love him. I love him more than I should in any possible way. I adore him, and I really like Colton. as a like. I think he's hilarious. I think he was a great... He's still very close with the cast. And, yeah, I believe the circumstance was like, okay, if you're leaving the show, we're going to kill you. If you're staying, you know, we've got this awesome plot for you in season three. Um, and he took too long telling them the answer, um, but I think they assumed he was coming back, so they kept him alive, and then they, he was like, oh, actually, I'm leaving, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, you know, uh, you know, whatever, if he's having a good time on Arrow, that's fine, but Jesus, I want him back in some way at some point. I'm glad they went with the, uh, the option of him not dying, because I like to imagine him being alive, but it, it is an interesting idea that they were kind of like, oh, we could kill him, or we could 
you know, we could not, and it was, I think, partly also to, like, not get any spoilers out about what, what would happen to him. But, yeah, I, I would have loved to have his story continue, so I'm, I'm glad they didn't go with the, the death option. But it also kind of makes you wonder if they've done that for other characters that we don't know about, you know, like, ooh, is Kate going to die or is she going to live? Or is Jennifer going to die or is she going to live, if you know what I mean? Like, people that they might want back in some way. And uh, I'm curious about that as well. Yeah, I'd always bring Jackson back. I loved his his growth and his yeah how he played off of Scott and Styles and his relationship with Lydia and how we got to see a lot of Lydia through him and how she really was as a person. I yeah, I loved him as a character as well. Yeah, I would have yeah. I always want more Jackson. So <laughs> I I just yeah, it's it, like it, he's he's such a jerk, but I love him and I I I really would have liked to have seen more of that. So I'm glad they didn't go with the the death option that's that's good for me but i mean it would have been a more more of a clean ending i suppose if they had See, I, don't, that. I don't know about that because i don't particularly like i don't hate jackson or anything like that but i don't really have a lot of feelings about him and uh, not that i think the show is better without him but i guess it's kind of like i'm kind of glad that sort of jerky jock character is sort of out of the way um but i don't think they could have killed him in the season two finale i mean they could have obviously they had planned on it at one point or another but i feel like with them not killing him it was more of like a redemptive arc rather than if they had killed him it would have just cut everything off and i don't think it would have been as significant. And even though we don't have Jackson right now, I feel like just the idea of him being alive is sort of like more of redemption now that we know he's living in the world as a werewolf than if he had just died right there in the season two finale. I want a London-based yeah. Jackson spinoff. <laughs> the BBC should partner up with MTV oh my God. and make a London-based Jackson spinoff, please. Um, or, like, put him into being human or something. Like, make the worlds the same universe or something. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, anyway, not that being human is even still running, but I don't know. Um, did anyone have any other, like, big death comments before we, uh, mo- like, before we sort of finish up? Or uh, no. I don't think so. I guess, I mean, in conclusion, then, you know, we, you know, if anyone has any extra thoughts about special deaths that we've missed or, you know, you you have a favorite death moment for some reason that, you know, that's something that you can, you know, feel free to share with us on Twitter or, or Tumblr or whatever. I mean, do any of you guys have any deaths predicted for season four? Oh, man. Um. I'd like to see Derek Hale's sadness die. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's a good one. I vote for that one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, didn't they say something about symbolically destroying, like, Derek's loft, like, where all his sadness lives and where he killed Boyd or something like that? So maybe he'll get, like, a really nice, bright, like, apartment with, like, warm (laughs) colours and, like, you know, green plants and a cat and stuff. And a cat! So hopefully that, that will be something um roscoe the jeep might die he he might be failing he he might get might get replaced with a a trademark toyota like you know (laughs) look Uh, i am still really sad over the camaro not being on the show anymore like i know it's been forever but i really still um I, I, i don't want anyone to die obviously i never want anyone to die um I mean, there's 
three new lacrosse boys, the ju- like the juniors. They, you know, I don't know if they're meant to be like freshmen or, or sophomore or juniors, um, but they're younger than the others, obviously. Um, three new ones. Um, that's Liam and uh, I, I forget what the others are going to be called. One of them's called Mason, the actor, Mason. but not the character. No, there is a character named Mason. Oh, isn't there an actor called Mason? Yes. Yeah. And he's not same... playing Mason. Oh, Jesus. But... <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> and then I think the other one is Garrett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So maybe one of them three boys will die because that three new boys oh. seems like a lot. So, you know, we never know. But I don't know. I can't predict any of the leads dying again at this point. You know, every time Dylan O'Brien gets a bit more famous, people are like, oh, my God, Styles is going to die. Let's hope not. Um, he seems very dedicated to the cause of Teen Wolf, so yes. let's hope that carries on. I don't want Chris Argent to die or any of the parents. Let's Mi- just hope that Gerard dies. Like, yeah. he shows in season four <laughs> and then dies. Yeah. Mr. McCall's hanging around, so he might die. We we never know. We, yeah. You know, he's going to be in season four, so I don't know, man. Oh, I know somebody I want to die. Okay. Now I can't think of his name, but it's the the orderly. I would like the oh, orderly Brunsky. to die. Yes, and he might be like Brunsky. Oh, and yeah, at my greatest moment of some, thinking someone was going to die and not dying is obviously Coach getting shot with the arrow, just to give that a shout out at the end <laughs> of the episode. He, we're, we're all very glad that he didn't die, and, and seeing that happen would have been very upsetting because, like, again, like Allison, it would have been one of those very, like, real-world moments of, like, uncontrollable, like, non-supernatural kind of circumstances. And, yeah, so props to Coach for not dying. But, yeah, Brunsky <laughs> can die. Gerard can die. Who else can die? Not Parrish. Not <laughs> oh, my Parrish. God, no. Never Parrish. Never, ever Parrish can ever die. Never. <laughs> never. He'll never die because he's a vampire. Right, Karen? Right. Right? Is that the know. answer? Um, Karen Karen is determined that Parrish is a vampire. Possibly not completely. Vampire. I'm not that determined. You're, I you're, think it makes sense, but I don't he's actually a vampire. Yeah, you're slightly facetiously determined that Parrish is a vampire. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. That's a better way to put it. Okay. Anyway, before this gets too uh, insane... We should we should leave. So yeah, um, we hope you've enjoyed our, our talk about death. One person I think who might die if she comes into it at all is possibly Mrs. Yukimura. Now that all her tales have been snapped, oh. like we don't know. As long as Mr. Yukimura doesn't die, I don't care. Yeah, oh, nice. But yeah, I love him. Yeah, he's great. And uh, you know, it would be very upsetting. You know, but if we're talking about a a vaguely good guy character who won't hurt too much but might have the potential to die we don't know what her circumstances are in terms of why uh you know all her tails being snapped into onis now so yeah we'll have to have to wait and see about that one but but yeah so yeah just b- before we randomly think about other characters that might die um we'll uh, we'll finish up now and say a gigantic thank you to katie for coming and sharing her thoughts on her own and other deaths on on Teen Wolf, so that's that's fun. Gonna Thank get... you guys for having me. No, you are so welcome. Like we we're very excited. Oh. We're gonna finish with our like non sequitur section as usual, where we're going to just answer a random question, which we have given Katie the chance to uh, pick this week if she should care to. Yeah, but really quick before I do that, thank you so much, I'll, seriously, for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. You guys have been so cool to me. Oh, no, that's, but, that's silly. We're, no, we should be grateful to you. Like, it's 
Yeah, we got to see Katie at BiteCon, and I was. I thought that there should have been a panel for Katie and uh, Chantel and Jeremiah, all of the fans who've got to guest star on oh, on Teen Wolf. Um, would have been would have been a cool thing. So maybe next year potentially, if everyone gets to come back to a convention. But it was so cool. There were so many people at BiteCon who have been like big parts of the fandom in different ways. Either people who are you know, writers or artists or, like, you know, have been, you know, part of the show from competitions or alphas, you know, alpha of the week or whatever. And it's it's been so cool. Like, you know, in the last couple of months, I feel like we've connected more with so much of the fandom than we were, you know, in, in the year or so before that. Like, do you, do you get that, Karen, that we, like, suddenly know so many more people? Yes. Well, that's a big thing for me, too, because, like, you and I in particular kind of hang out on the Twitter and we do the podcast, but, like, we're not in the trenches like the other girls are, especially Brooke and Courtney, and they know a lot of people, and we're like, wait, wait, who is this? And it's funny because we ended up meeting, like, Danielle, who was our first guest star on the show, and at first I was like, I have no idea who this person is, (laughs) and because... We did a podcast with her, but it's not like we were talking face-to-face or anything. I didn't actually know who she was. And then come to find out, she was like, yeah, I'm Danielle. I'm the first person that was on your show. And, like, instantly, like, best friends. And I feel like that happened with a lot of people. Now that I can put a face to the name and to, like, whatever role they have in the fandom. Like, Dawn. I want to, like, adopt like, her. The, like, yeah, yeah, Dawn. Oh, my God. I love her so much. The world has just expanded. And I think, like... BiteCon was amazing for so, so, so many reasons, but that has got to be one of the top ones. Just meeting everybody and having new friends to talk to, it's just amazing. That extends on to the cast and, like, the crew and stuff of Teen Wolf as well. Not to, like, say this in, like, a braggy way, but, like, we kind of knew that they were aware of us and obviously they organized the set visit. But now that we've been there and, like, met a lot of people, like, you know, a lot of people who aren't necessarily, like, they're no gigantic powers in the world of Teen Wolf, but they work there. Like some of the people that work in like production and stuff like that, we're like pretty constantly like communicating with them on Twitter and like, you know, chatting, you know, with people and, and yeah, we've made a lot more sort of connections again, not in a like, Oh, we're going to get what you can offer us. But like the, the, the lines of communication have really opened up like with the whole fandom pretty much. And it's like really cool to be that interactive and stuff now and like all friends together. And it's like, nice i don't know well and i think that's, yeah. <laughs> i guess that's why i brought that up earlier where yeah. i was like you know i i don't i'm not i don't know a lot about the fandom thing my fandom days were, were mm. way older when i was in school myself but i don't know that there's another fandom that is so open and amazing with its fans as teens yeah and gives them so many opportunities yeah no i don't and that really so speaks either. to the show i think yeah it, it, it is it's definitely like like i don't know very many like cast and crew that would be bothered communicating that much like not because they have to but just because they want to but even Jeff I mean it's not like it's not like I have Jeff on speed dial and I like to, we talk to him on the regs or anything but like when he you're around him he's just so excited to talk to people about the show who care about the show if you know what I mean and like everyone is is just genuinely really excited and they you know seem to appreciate the fandom uh because it's not like it's not faceless to them. Like, I think a lot of bigger shows or whatever might just be like, oh, we don't really, like, you know, whatever. Like, as long as the network says we get to make another season, we don't really care what individual people want or anything like that. But they're so, like, they talk to, like, so many people and, like, it, you know, it, in a genuinely kind of friendly and interactive way. And it's it's so cool. I don't know. 
Well, as I said, we're just going to be overwhelmed by everything for a long time, I think. But yeah, <laughs> it's great. Yay. Yay for this. And yeah, we have very much enjoyed getting to meet so many people um, in the fandom recently uh, and actually legitimately be friends with everyone as opposed to kind of everyone vaguely knowing who each other is on the internet. So it's cool. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, I will ask that question now. <laughs> yeah, I'm let's... No, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. Don't apologize. <laughs> um, my question, because I am a secret horror fan, horror the genre, it's I always growing up loved it, loved reading it, loved writing it, loved watching it, all of that stuff, I was wondering if there was a favorite horror film or book, because I love the literature, too. Uh, this question's kind of tough for me, because I have never really been into horror until recently. Like I said, part of that probably has to do with Teen Wolf, but I think I've just been getting more comfortable with all of the scary, creepy things that are out there, which is a good thing, so I can be less of a wimp and people can pick on me less. Uh, which will never happen. But anyway, I, I tend to write a lot of horror, which is really funny because I am not familiar with the genre really at all. And I haven't seen a lot of the big films or read a lot of the books that are out there and that sort of thing. But one movie that really stuck out to me, and I don't know if this is like going to be funny or not, because I don't know people's general opinion about this movie, <laughs> All right. but <laughs> it is called The Haunting, and it yes. has... Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it has a lot of big people in it, like Liam Neeson and Catherine Zeta-Jones and Owen Wilson, and it's a pretty creepy movie. I wouldn't say it's scary, like things don't necessarily jump out at you, but it's a very creepy thriller sort of movie about these people who have to stay in this house that's haunted, and it's supposed to be like this fear study and stuff. And I think this is one of the, the first movies, and I think this is why I like it so much, that scared me but didn't scare me enough that I couldn't watch it. And so I sort of became obsessed with it because I was like, oh, I can watch this and be creeped out, but not be like scared and have nightmares. And so I've seen it so, so, so many times, but I just, I love it so much. And I think it's this really great movie. So if you're normally not into horror, I would try The Haunting. It's from 1999. It's not the best, but I like it. I adore you for bringing that up. That is legitimately one of my favorite scary movies and also the book that it's based on The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. I love it so much. <laughs> so great. I don't have a huge experience with horror because I am just generally, I, I'm just not into it. Like I'm not into like being scared for fear's sake. Or, I don't really understand the entire concept behind horror, but two that really stick out for me that I, I did enjoy, and I don't remember why I ended up seeing them, and I think they're both a bit more psychological than, you know, a straight-up slasher, which I've never really seen. Uh, one was a movie in, I think it came out in, like, 2003 called Identity. It's with John Cusack, and it's yeah. it's it's kind of a psychological thriller slash horror about um, these people all trapped in a motel and getting killed in a certain order, which sounds very typical horror, but there's a weird psychological connection, and it's it's gross. I don't get much out of gore in general and all of that, but I found the story of that and like quite interesting. I don't remember who made me go and see it, but that's one that sticks out. And the other one that I always really liked, again, I don't know why I, I went and saw it, because I hadn't seen the, the earlier movies, was Red Dragon, which is the prequel to the 
the Hannibal books, like to Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal. And the movie was made after the Silence of the Lambs movie. So it's like a prequel. But the cast in that is phenomenal. It's like Rafe Fiennes, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Ed Norton. And um, I saw that and I was pretty fascinated by that. And because of my interest in that, I I'd put it off for like a year but in the last couple of weeks, I just started watching the Hannibal TV series because I thought it was going to be too gross for me to handle. Um, like that the cat, you know, that the grossness was going to outweigh the amount I would like the character based stuff. But it's not too bad. It's there are bits where I'm just like, I really can't stare at that for the <laughs> amount that you're leaving this shot on. I'm going to put my eyes over to the other side of the screen. It's real graphic, but in terms of like a plot based show and the like, the writing and stuff, I love it. So. And I was already kind of invested in the idea of Will Graham like, and what he does, that character from Red Dragon. So if we're going to, you know, I don't know if it counts as a proper horror movie, but Red Dragon would probably be my favourite. I, as I said, I've never seen any really like slashery, like, you know, haunted house movies or like anything like that, basically. I've seen like 28 Days Later, which is like the zombie, like apocalypse one, which was quite interesting as well. But I can't really remember too many bloody movies that I've seen but what is yours I would like to hear about your your love for these things mine yeah um I gosh if I had to pick a favorite scary movie I don't know it used to I mean the whole horror genre started for me when I was in fourth grade and was that ridiculous child who had read all the books in the library and you know didn't know what else to read and the librarians didn't know what to do with me so my dad has a super big love for Stephen King and gave me oh, my first wow. Stephen King book yeah when I was in fourth grade which wow. looking back now is a little you know having to explain that to people is a little sometimes they get the eyebrow but it sparked a it sparked a love in me for like the scary and you know not I'm not into gore either so not necessarily the gory but the you know the scary my favorite book of all time will always be Stephen King's It which gets me a lot of and again, raised eyebrows because of the clown, and that's weird, but it has that found family mixed with horror, which is my two favorite things. Mm. I have not, yeah, it, it's not something that I've exposed myself to a lot in terms of reading, um, but I am I am curious about it, especially uh, with the, the Hannibal stuff being, um, you know, finding that I can cope with it. I am curious to look at some of the, the better writers in that department, like in terms of, I guess, horror or thriller stuff, because I do like crime stuff. I generally like like procedural, uh, like crime solving stuff. And, and you know, so I, I kind of like horror stuff that's based in like, a, I guess, a, a mystery or a thriller in some in some circumstance. So I am I am. If anyone has any good recommendations, I will I will take them now that I know that I can cope with Hannibal. But, um, but yeah. I was gonna say whenever I I want to like delve into more of this stuff, I might just come to you, Katie, because I've actually like, never read Stephen King, and I feel like as somebody who does read a lot and you know just loves books in general, that like you have to read Stephen King at some point. So he's so great. He's so great. I'll take your your suggestions at some point I'll hit you up <laughs> yeah I I am here for you I'm, I'm good for that <laughs> cool well I think that that is everything that we have for this week we're gonna try and and carry on with our our bite-sized episodes uh once every fortnight once every two weeks until the show comes back which is not so long away less than 50 days until season four right yeah and we're going to have, like, you know, a spoiler and theory roundup like we always do before a new new episode, you know, new season starts airing. We, you know, we've got a few few ideas about what we might do for another one or two episodes in that time. 
but relatively soon, Karen, you're going to another convention. Is that right? Yes. Uh, Courtney, Danya, and I are actually going to be going to Indie PopCon, which is in Indianapolis. And I think we've talked about this before, but we just wanted to give it another shout out. It's doing really well. They've had to buy more space because of all the things that are coming there. And it's very, very exciting. And if you guys are near Indianapolis or you can get there, I would definitely check out their website, which is just IndiePopCon.com, because they have a lot of really cool guests that are going to be there, like Ron Glass from Firefly and... uh, Xander from Buffy and like all these other people and it's just gonna be kind of like an indie convention but at the same time there are gonna be some really cool people there and they're still announcing people so keep an eye out but uh like I said we'll be there a couple other people are gonna be there from Hypeable and we're gonna do coverage probably not as in-depth as we did with BikeCon because we're not as associated with them but we're also gonna have a vendors table there where we're gonna sell Courtney's amazing buttons and maybe some other things so if you do happen to go please come find us and say hi because I'm sure everybody would love that it would be really exciting yeah, it's so cool. Um, yeah, this is actually something that we had in the works even before BikeCon was announced. It was the first con we were invited to as guests. Obviously, not all of us can make it because um, we had to uh, fly to, to BikeCon as well when we were found out we were doing a specific Teen Wolf convention and, and had the you know the invitation from the set and from the convention. But for this con, because um, we were already um, attached to it, is you know everyone who can get there is is getting there, and some other hypeable staffers from different fandoms as well. So, yeah, hopefully it will be really good for them. And I'm sad that I won't get to to see them again in in a few weeks' time. But yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, it makes the separation at BikeCon a little bit better, but not all that much better. <laughs> yeah, well. It's fine for you. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna be whatever. It's fine. Anyway, no, we'll, you'll always have BiteCon. Yeah. Uh, bite anyway. Con. <laughs> oh, this is terrible. Anyway, we should go now because uh, I think this is Karen's second podcast of the day, and I'm about to do my second yes. podcast of the day in a few minutes. Uh, apparently, I had to pack it all into one night. But um, yeah. So again, massive, massive thank you to Katie for coming on. Oh, thank um, you guys. Yeah, I'm sure that you'd be welcome to come back in the future if you would care to come on to do a regular episode discussion after an episode airs. You know, we, we get people on sometimes for that, and I'm, you know, sure that everyone would love that if you wanted to do that at some point. Oh, anytime. Yeah? Cool. So, yeah, I guess for now it's just bye from all of us here and hope that you liked our chat about death and... <laughs> Stay alive until season four starts. So, yes. Yeah. Oh, my bad. And preferably after season four as well. <laughs> Katie doesn't get that luxury. So. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much, though. And, and yeah, thank you to Karen for, for planning out this horrible, <laughs> horrible episode. You're um, very welcome. Yeah. So, bye-bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.
Brent, are you excited that we'll go to see a midnight screening of the Avengers 2 together in at BiteCon next year? Oh my god! Well, it was <laughs> funny because um, Unforgiven was... We were talking about yeah, it on man. Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I didn't realize it, and I was like, holy crap, we all need to go see this movie together. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, I was like to Liz, yeah, can you go and just put, like, book in, like, as part of programming, <laughs> a private screening? Thanks, I'm sure that'll be simple and easy, like, go on. <laughs> But yeah, um, but yeah, I think after the pre-registration, we could go to a midnight session like that night. Like, uh, like that would be so good. Yeah, we're gonna have to book that in advance because they will sell out. Like, so yeah. like, oh my god, god, oh my god, if we could go to like, it'll be a bitch because it's heaps far away. But you know the um cinema that I showed you in Hollywood and Highland, the the Disney Theater El Capitan. That's oh. where all of the Marvel premieres and stuff are. So it won't, we won't be there for the premiere, but if we could go there, those will, like, sell out so fast. It'd probably be easier to go to, like, one of the local cinemas near the hotel. But, like, oh, my God, it would be cool. Um, we have to make Courtney watch just, all of the uh, just throw in my Just throw in my two cents, and if you do do that, if I'm there, I may sneak into one of your bags or something. Oh, um, I yes. think everyone at the con will be going. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> have a group of like 250 people yeah like literally this a year this year all everyone was talking about was winter soldier and this year and next year it'll just be people talking about the avengers too yeah oh dear 